Greetings everybody, this is Mihai Marinescu. Uh, as I'm recording this, it is um, very early here in Bucharest, about uh, one hour away from sunrise and uh, it is snowing outside, so uh, it is the perfect atmosphere, the perfect premises for a podcast. <laughs> um, what um, I wish to speak about today is um, uh, a little something about uh, Christianity and uh, ethnicity and uh, the Christian take on these things and also about hierarchy, quality, so all these easygoing subjects with which we are uh, used to. So, um, this, um, this uh, by the way, first I want to say something about um, uh, my other uh, work, uh, my um, re-enchantment of the world series, so this podcast has nothing to do with it, it is separated from it. Um, I have uh, already finished uh, writing the third article in the series, but I still have to edit it, to trim it a bit, to um, uh, record it, the audio, so it will uh, still take about a week, about uh, give it more or less 10 days, I don't know what time I'll have, so, uh, until Branco will uh, actually post it on the website, so uh, bear with me a little. Um, anyway, so I want to say this uh, podcast that I'm recording here was um, not actually inspired by the, um, Bronco's uh, recent question and answers, where he talked about um, a little about nationalism and, uh, and these sorts of things, but um, by a passage um, which I read yesterday, um, or two days ago as I'm recording this, um, in the life of uh, St... Uh, Theodore, uh, Saint uh, Theodosius uh, um, uh, from Palestine, the one who started um, the organized monastic life in Palestine, so organized in um, Kenovitical monasteries. Um, this can be um, this can be listened to as um, complementary to what Branco uh, treated uh, last week or two weeks ago when he recorded that uh, question and answers. So anyway, just to brief, give a brief uh, outline of uh, the life of St. Theodosius, uh, this is a free talk, so why not uh, say a, a little uh, about this as well. So uh, St. Theodosius was born somewhere around the um, council of, uh, at the time of the council of uh, Chalcedon, which happened in uh, 451, so about 450, he was... Uh, he was born, um, his life said that, um, so he was born in, uh, in a village in Cappadocia and uh, he was a reader in the local church in that village. And then um, after a while, while was, he was still young, he went uh, to a pilgrimage to the holy places, to Jerusalem. His life said that this happened um, somewhere during the time, uh, during the last years of Emperor um, of, uh, Emperor uh, Zenon, or something like this. So he was about 20 years old, I think, when this happened. Um, he lived uh, near Jerusalem with a monk there who tonsured him in the monastic life. He was a disciple of this monk, but uh, life near the holy city was not that quiet. He was visited by a lot of people, so. Uh, he decided to lead a quieter life, so he went into the Palestinian desert. He settled in a cave there, where he lived for about 20 years in strict aesthetical uh, condition, led a very strict aesthetical life. Then he um, began receiving disciples, 
who all lived uh, in that cave with him and uh, since the cave was too small for, to accompany so many disciples who were uh, coming and were attaching themselves uh, to him, he decided to build a monastery, uh, build a church with uh, cells for uh, each of the monks. This, um, this monastery eventually um, became a lavra. So uh, a lavra is a complex of uh, buildings, um, not only cells for monastics, but also multiple churches, um, buildings for the housing of the sick. So like hospital, like what we would call today hospital, for the housing of travelers, of poor people, and uh, so on. Um, Theodosius was also a very ardent defender of orthodoxy uh, during the reign of Emperor um, Anastasius. Um, Emperor Anastasius was a monophysit, so he supported the monophysites. He was against the councils, uh, the Council of Chalcedon, and he um, there was a big upheaval in Palestine during his time. He always tried to um, depose the orthodox bishops and um, overthrow the Patriarch of Jerusalem and install monophysit um, bishops instead of them so um, the monks of Palestine um, uh, put up a very serious resistance against this and um, multiple times for thwarted uh, the emperor's plans uh, Theodosius too was exiled about two times because he stood up to the emperor he wrote him a letter he said he would rather die 1000 deaths than abandon orthodoxy um, and um, um, support uh, heretical principles. Um, he was a wonder worker, <clears throat> very well known um, for his mercy for the sick, for the poor. Uh, he worked uh, many wonders, he had many spiritual gifts um, as a result of his um, uh, ascetical life, of his um, um, zeal in the spiritual life. Uh, he lived um, until the age of 105. So he died somewhere during the reign of Justinian the Great, I don't know, 555-550, depending on the exact year when he was born. Um, the exact dates don't matter so much, but this was a brief outline of his life. Uh, the, the passage which attracted my attention, which um, constitutes the starting point for um, today's talk, is this. So in his monastery there were... Um, there gathered monks, he had at the peak of um, his monastic uh, life there, he had about 1,000 monks, and uh, they were of many nationalities. Some were Greek, some were Armenians, some, uh, some were Evirites from Iviria, that would be modern-day Georgia. So, um, uh, the author of his life says here that he built multiple churches, the main church was the Greek church, Was they were chanting in Greek, but he... Um, he built a church for each of the nationalities that gathered there. So there was a church for Armenians, a church for Georgians, for Evirites, a church for the Greeks. And um, each of the nationalities is of the monks the, uh, belonging to the different uh, nationalities gathered uh, in, their, um, in their particular church and... Uh, served uh, the divine services, the daily cycle of services in their own language. So Armenians um, chanted in 
Armenian, uh, the EV writes in their own language, the Greeks in Greek, and so on. Um, but um, the author says here, uh, when the time was for communion with uh, the holy mysteries, so with the body and blood of Christ, with the Eucharist, all the brothers from all the churches gathered in the main church in which uh, the Greeks chanted, and together they uh, received communion. So, um, the, the Eucharist is never um, a standalone act. We can gather from this that um, for the whole of the divine liturgy, the main service of the day, they gathered um, in the main church of the Lavra, and um, uh, they stood together there and received communion together. So, for the daily cycle, for Orthros, uh, Matins, the morning service, the midnight service, Vespers, you know, the evening service, the services throughout the day, the hours, and all that belongs to the liturgical cycle, they um, each gathered in their own churches, in their own languages, and uh, ch chanted the services in their own languages, but for the Divine Liturgy and for the Eucharist, they gathered in the main church, all together, and there they served and uh, received communion. So, because the, the Greeks were uh, the majority there, the Greek monks, uh, the Greek-speaking monks, um, it was only natural that everybody gathered for the main service in that church, because, yeah, they had to gather somewhere, and it was only normal that um, they would gather in the main church, which, was, uh, which belonged to the uh, majority group there. Uh, no question about that. So, what, um, what is, uh, why is this relevant? It is very relevant because it is a, be a beautiful image, a beautiful symbolism. Um, we see sometimes, um, we hear some people cite uh, this passage um, from uh, Galatians, from the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians, um, where he says, um, uh, there is neither uh, Greek nor Jew, no Scythians, no uh, barbarians, no male nor female, uh, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Um, something you know, to that extent can be also be found in one of the letters to the Corinthians, I think. Um, but anyway, this is... Um, I'm a little paraphrasing here. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but um, this is uh, by and large what he, he says there. So there is no Greek, no Jew, no uh, male nor female, or all one in Christ. So... Um, I see this uh, cited sometimes um, to argue for um, for the fact that uh, in Christianity, ethnicity and um, gender and um, all of these things have no importance, are completely unrelated to the spiritual life. And uh, of course, from here, it is very easy to, to step over the mark and um, promote some sort of... Um, new heretical globalist uh, version of Christianity, which has nothing to do with reality. Um, so I, I would like to, to talk about this a little bit, to see how to properly in, understand this um, in light of uh, Christian teachings. Um, by the way, I, I do recommend that everybody who is listening to this read the, li the life of St. Theodosius of Palestine. It is very useful to read the lives of the saints because of this reason, because you see here concrete people in concrete um, uh, situations 
different saints, different ascetics, in the way in which they applied different evangelical precepts, different commandments, which can be found in the gospel. So, um, it is a very important source of discernment. So, in this case, we see that um, uh, the life in Theodosius's monastery was conducted according to to this principle that yes so he recognized that there are different nationalities nationalities or different ethnicities um, let's say because it is uh, i think it's a more proper term uh, nationality you know can can very um, well be confused with the modern um, understanding of it uh, which is um, which does not correspond to the ancient uh, and medieval understanding. So, ethnicity. So, he recognizes that there are different ethnicities who um, have a different culture, who speak different languages, and uh, they were allowed to serve in their own language. But for the divine liturgy and for communion, they all gathered in the same place and received um, Holy Communion together. Why is that? Divine liturgy is um, the service when, um, according to traditional Christian teachings, and the 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 distance between earth and heaven, between uh, uh, the created un and uncreated, is being breached, is being uh, bridged. So um, Christ Himself, um, the the um, um, how is it called the um, uh, kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Uh, becomes manifested on earth. So, life in, uh, in divine liturgy, you know, the, the whole church becomes uh, the kingdom of God and uh, uh, the holy mysteries, the bread and wine are being transformed into the body and blood of Christ and everyone who receives communion uh, unites himself to Christ. So, it doesn't matter um, if you just take one small particle of bread dipped in wine or you drink the whole cup, Christ is present fully in each of its parts and anyone who receives the Eucharist uh, receives Christ fully. So the only difference is the benefit one can receive from this um, because, and uh, this, this difference comes from uh, preparation and how uh, prepared that particular person is internally to receive uh, to receive Christ, but regardless of that, uh, the gift is given to everyone equally. So we see here what wh what we see here is the transcending of um, these different ethnicities in the divine liturgy, but at the same time, this transcending does not mean their erasing. The, the, the different ethnicities are gathered into one without by, by this disappearing from existence. So the Armenians remain Armenians, the Greeks remain Greeks, but their differences are no longer so the, the language barriers and so on are no longer, um, um, how to say, um, principle of separation the different parts uh, no longer exhibit any opposition to one another, but they become complementary. Um, they all point towards the same thing, towards a fundamental unity present in each and manifesting uh, particularly in each of them. But uh, the, the essence is one 
its uh, modes of manifestations um, are uh, multiple. So unity and multiplicity become united. Uh, the multiplicity is no longer uh, cause for division, but for uh, complementary, for complementarity, the different parts working for the whole. So they all gather in the whole. They all uh, serve the unity. They serve the whole, each in its par in its particular way. So um, um, we can say that ethnicity. Uh, in Christian teaching, ethnicity is a substantial reality, so it is not a sort of historical construct, a social construct. Of course, some may argue that uh, the divide between different nations, different ethnicities is a result of our fallen condition. This may be true up to a point, but um, um, it, the, this division between nations, these um, differences between um, uh, the way in which um, certain ethnicities, certain civilization manifested throughout history, um, this uh, this uh, pre-existed in the unity. So in the unity of Adam, of the archetypal men, uh, these different manifestations, this different way for uh, humanities to uh, for humanity to manifest pre-existed. So what, even if uh, we can say so um, that um, this division is um, somehow part of our fallen condition, it is also true that uh, this um, this multiplicity is pre-existing in the unity and it's legitimate. It has its reason for existing, and it is um, in no way something illicit. Um, I can bring uh, also um, a quote I have in mind from uh, the book of Revelations. I also don't have it in front of me, but uh, it says something to the extent that uh, on the day of judgment, each nation will be called to the judgment seat to bring its glory. Something like this would be the translation um, in English. The, the Romanian um, word is uh, um, the sl uh, Slav, so it's a Slavic word actually, I think Branko also knows it, uh, it means uh, light and uh, it also means honor, like rank or uh, dignity, so, um, but I think that's, that's uh, the English word used there, glory, so each uh, ethnicity, each nation brings its glory to the judgment seat, what, what this means is that each nation um, shows the way in which it manifested the glory of God in its own particular way. So we can gather from this that far from constituting a mere accident, the question of ethnicity is of importance in the spiritual life and um, in the personal life um, of self-knowledge. Um, the same can be said about this um, this complementarity of male and female, men and woman. The fact that St. Paul says that um, in Christ there is neither male nor female is, uh, does not mean that uh, he is advocating some kind of amorphous gender, queer, uh, I don't know what theory, in which uh, we become some sort of an amorphous sexless or genderless uh, beings. Uh, because, of course, biological sex is transcended in the resurrection. Um, the, same, the same principle applies in the, the case of the complementarity of male and female as in the case of ethnicities. So we have um, in the old churches when um, the um, 
um, the difference, the um, separation between the narthex and um, the, I don't know what's called in English, the place near the entrance, the pronarthex or the vestibule, I have no idea. So it's the this place near the entrance, then the narthex, then the altar. Yeah, so in uh, older churches, um, in older architecture, this uh, difference between the narthex and this place near the entrance was more marked than it is um, in uh, more recent ones. And um, it was customary for uh, women to stand um, in the place near the entrance and the men were all gathered in the narthex. So uh, men stood closer to the altar. Um, in um, in today's church life, it is um, usually the case that the men stand on the right as facing the altar, the women on the left. Uh, at least theoretically, this is not strictly observed anymore, but um, this is um, customarily um, the, the tradition. Uh, but the same principle applies here. At the time of communion, at the time of receiving the Eucharist, everyone in the church, regardless of uh, social status of rank or whatever of male or female they all come at the front at the altar and receive the holy communion from the priest so once again we can see that uh, this um, this complementarity is recognized within the church yes there are there is there are women there are men there is male there is female but at the time of the eucharist each gathers into one Yes, so each each goes up front and, and receives Christ and equally becomes united with Christ without thereby um, uh, having uh, his particular uh, characteristics of gender and so on erased. So uh, the male, uh, the, the men remain men, the women remain women. But this complementarity... Um, actually from now on acts as a complementarity and not as a division in the sense of a disunity. So male and female in this case, as they are united with Christ, each in its own particular way contributes to the, to the mystery of the whole, to the, the greatness of the whole. And um, th this can be, be said also about hierarchy. Um, hierarchy is within um, the church um, transcended in a way. So, first of all, external hierarchies, external accidents such as social status and rank and um, uh, the, um, I don't know, the social rank, the um, how much money one has, uh, or as it was in antiquity, the difference between master and slaves or between high-ranking official and slaves or hand workers and so on. These were from the start within the church completely transcended everybody regardless of these external accidents um, stood uh, stood in the same church stood one next to the other uh, no question about this of course special um, special um, attention or special uh, privileges were granted later on to emperors and uh, so on in the Byzantine Empire but that that is another question uh, However, this um, th th this hierarchy, so uh, social hierarchy, yes, it is transcended, and um, what remains, uh, we can see, uh, as a difference marked in the churches, is um, these substantial differences, some substantial um, 
uh, characteristics, substantial par particularities, like ethnicity is a substantial particularity, not that people of different ethnic groups cannot uh, gather in the same church, but as I mentioned in um, relation to the life of St. Theodosius, uh, he, he built this uh, uh, churches, yes, for uh, each um, national uh, group, for each ethnicity to um, to serve in their own language, so uh, to to better participate in the services, and also this division, this um, complementarity between male and female is also marked as each standing in its um, proper place in the church. But once again, uh, this complementarity being um, united into one at the altar at the time of Eucharist. The same way the hierarchy is um, is um, uh, transcended in the sense that everybody in the church, uh, regardless of if one is bishop, one is priest, one is deacon, or one is simple layman, each one receives from the patriarch or metropolitan or bishop or priest to the list of the layman, to the list, to the last faithful person in the church receives Christ completely, fully, and uh, uh, become uh, receives the the opportunity to participate fully in the divine life. So there is no there is no uh, difference, no separation. At the same time, the hierarchy is still uh, present in the sense that there is a priest who administers the Eucharist, and there is a layman who receives the Eucharist from the priest. So, uh, while uh, each of them receives uh, Christ fully within himself, the hierarchy is still maintained in what it has substantial, what it has um, legitimate. So, the priest is not uh, privileged in the sense that uh, he, he receives Christ more fully than uh, the layman, but at the same time, his role and rank within the church is recognized, and it is completely legitimate. In the same way, we can um, we can understand the role, the different role, um, different roles that men and women perform. So we have this uh, stupid, idiotic um, question: Why why are there no women priests? Uh, first of all, it, it must be said that. Um, uh, not only Christianity, but uh, in no religion are there um, uh, women priests, priestesses. Uh, the only exceptions which can be gathered from history is always in the degenerative uh, phase of a particular religion. You you get this mixed priesthood. Um, but uh, we can see that in all major religions, uh, high religions, so to speak, uh, <coughs> of the world, there is no such things as, as women priesthood. Um, this, I, I, just to say a little about this, male and female symbolize uh, symbolize on the human level this um, the symbolism of heaven and earth. Yes, man is heaven, woman is earth. Um, the heaven is the container, the um, giver of form, the earth is the recipient of form. So together, when as they are united, they uh, they form the mystery of existence. They um, uh, both are necessary as complementary parts uh, to existence. So um, in 
in in this um, in this um, relationship between heaven and earth of course heaven is active and imparts form and um, earth is passive and receives form so for this reason because the priest um, uh, in the in the liturgy symbolizes uh, god imparting his blessings upon creation among other things of course men being the active uh, the active half of the male female complementarity uh, has to perform the role of priest because he is the one who imparts form who imparts uh, uh, who who acts upon uh, creation upon um, upon the earth to 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 give it form so this is why the the men the male uh, um, has this uh, function of uh, of priesthood but does this uh, does this mean that um, we are witnessing here some ha- some kind of patriarchal tyranny that uh, excludes women from uh, uh, service and from participation in the life of the church so on of course not because not performing a particular function does not mean that you are being oppressed or tyrannized it, it means that there are different functions and different roles to perform by each this uh, this being a priest or not this is not the only the only role present within the church and um, um, it is obvious that uh, in um, in Christianity traditional Christianity Orthodox Church the um, the greatest saint who ever lived is the Mother of God yes the Virgin Mary she is the one who gave uh, birth to God in the flesh and it is through her and uh, thanks to her that God could implement um, his uh, uh, salvation on mankind. Yes, he could manifest his plan uh, for mankind. So, uh, uh, this we, we refer to, to the mother of God as mother, as um, uh, empress, as um, the Holy Virgin or uh, the... Um, what's he called the the mass what's the feminine for master i don't know in english uh, anyway we we refer to her by all these titles but we do not refer to to her as priestess she was not a priestess only christ is the high priest yes so um the fact that uh, this um uh, she could uh, not perform the, this function because it is not um <clears throat> It is not uh, the role of the woman, of the female, to perform the function of priest. Does not mean that uh, <clears throat> she is not uh, the the greatest saint who ever lived, and uh, uh, that uh, not to her the the first of all the supplications of the faithful are uh, are being sent. The first saint to whom we send this supplication, and uh, we call her. Um, higher than the cherubim and the seraphim and uh, <clears throat> the whole angelic powers and, um, and not only this but um, <clears throat> it is um, uh, branco also said something about this which i recommend that you listen to his podcast for christmas the podcast he posted on the 25th of december um, about uh, the fiat the, uh, the 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 virgin um receiving the good news from gabriel and um by accepting yes uh, to to be co um, co co-author co-work, co-worker in god's plan 
she um, she receives the possibility of um, of incarnating God within herself and giving birth uh, to Christ as both God and man. Um, this is very this is a very important symbol and we see this archetype being repeated throughout the history of the church. Uh, the woman having uh, this role and I, I do not say this uh, from myself, others have uh, pointed out to this and it is a very good observation. So the woman here, uh, being symbol of the earth, has this um, uh, possibility, this, this function to manifest, to provide the space of manifestation for, for form, for um, the heavenly uh, forms, the heavenly essences. We see this uh, archetype, um, which is um, uh, from the beginning, from the from the Gospels. You know, in uh, Saint Mary saying yes to Gabriel and uh, thus um, being um, becoming the Mother of God. We we see this uh, also in the tale of the Resurrection, when um, it is the mirth-bearing uh, women who first witness Christ's resurrections and uh, tell the apostles. We see it later in history. In the history of Saint Nina of uh, Armenia, um, who was, um, I don't remember her, her history exactly, but uh, she was the, uh, the one who later converted uh, the Armenian king and um, uh, made it possible for the Armenians to become Christians. Uh, we see it in the story of uh, Saint Helen, the mother of Emperor Constantine, who, um, who because of her, um, the, the Holy Cross was discovered, uh, the Holy Complex at uh, Golgotha, and um, Constantine converted, and uh, practically the, the Roman Emperor became Christian later on. We see it in the history um, of the Eastern Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire during uh, iconoclasm, where um, two women were uh, instrumental, were um, the main actors which re-established, which overthrew iconoclasm, which was, the, um, uh, which was then being promoted by um, the, um, the Byzantine emperors. Um, they managed to overthrow iconoclasm and reestablish the orthodox teaching regarding the holy icons. So it was um, Empress um, Irini, uh, Irene, uh, who gathered the um, Second Council of Nicaea in 787, which reestablished um, the icons in the churches. And later on, at the end of the second iconoclast period, it was um, Empress Theodora who in 843 <coughs> uh, managed to permanently uh, overthrow iconoclasm and the iconoclastic teachings and condemn them and uh, re-establish uh, the orthodox view on icons. Uh, such examples can be given from recent history in communist Russia too. Th there are many such examples when, where we can see that um, um, the instrumental role of women in providing the the possibility of um, of uh, manifestation, the uh, the means uh, in which uh, these higher principles uh, become um, manifested. Also, we see in um, in the book of Genesis, right? So it was Eve who first um, um, took up the the serpents. Um, the serpent's temptation and uh, later gave it to Adam. So 
we can see this, these are two, the, the negative and the positive aspects. So the, the woman being the manifestor of form, the one who provides the possibility for forms to manifest, she, she is the one who can either, of course, provide a negative possibility or a positive possibility. Regardless of, of that, I, I made this um, rather wrong digression, I have to admit, in order to, to show how... Um, there are how this archetypal complementarity between uh, male and female should be understood and uh, why there are different roles of each and i don't mean some traditional gender roles in like in conservative political speech uh, nowadays i am uh, referring to a more uh, fundamental more essential more symbolic in the full sense of this world um, uh, manifestations of these principles uh, and which you can w witness in the life of the church so um, let's um, approach the end now and um, also draw a conclusion about ethnicity about um, feminine and masculine and so on about hierarchy and equality um, i have said until now that um, these are fundamental distinctions and although they're they spring for from a unity these complementarities should not be regarding as uh, regarded as unimportant or of zero importance in the spiritual life they are of zero importance that uh, in the sense that they cannot become barriers for one to um, uh, to to become a christian and to participate in a spiritual life of course the 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 gospel and the church is uh, for everyone yes regardless of gender of ethnicity of social status of race and so on but in order to but at the same time um, we perceive the world we perceive life we perceive uh, existence um, we think in ways which pertain which are particular to each of us each of us as persons each of us as members of a certain of a certain ethnicity, each of us uh, as uh, participants, as, uh, as uh, having a different gender, either male or female. Yes, so each of us um, approaches uh, existence in general and the spiritual life also from different angles. We can say that each of us has um, uh, special tools, special equipment, um, particular only only to him or her through which uh, the spiritual life can be approached so if the the end result the end goal the end purpose is the same for everyone the way each we, in which um, each one approaches it is particular to himself or herself and this is very important to understand this because Without self-knowledge, we cannot speak of any or any spiritual life. And all these things, all this um, history about uh, the history of different ethnicities and um, uh, the characteristics of each and characteristics of each gender and each uh, personal particular situation in time and place, all these have uh, an influence on how um, we are going to manifest these principles. So what to say about um, equality and uh, hierarchy or uh, differences between different ethnicities and races and so on? How, how, how is this, um, how, are, how is a Christian um, finally going to um, 
to view these things, how in what relation uh, does he set himself um, in regards to these things. We can say that uh, we need to, to understand that each each things each of the of the principles we discuss has its particular place. So we need to understand the the proper place of um, of which thing, where to look for differences, where to look for hierarchy, where to look for equality, where can um, are human beings uh, in the end equal or uh, are they different? Both end, they are both equal and uh, they are uh, both uh, uh, in each particular way different. So it is very important to ask this question, where can you find equality? And equality, the, the Christian answer is unequivocal. Equality does, um, uh, we are all humans, we are, we are all uh, are all participating in the same species, in the same being, in the same uh, unity, not because, uh, I don't know, we have, uh, f- we have the same feelings or uh, we have the same desires or <clears throat> I don't know what. No, we... These are just uh, consequences. These are just uh, derived phenomena. We are um, a unity where we are um, equal in the sense that each of us equally has imprinted within himself the image of God. So each one of us is created after the image of God and it is in this divine image equally present in each particular human being, regardless of differences, where we can find the unity of humanity. Otherwise, when we look at um, other aspects, other faculties, yes, of course, there are many differences. And uh, for me, it is um, not a problem to speak um, about, um, I don't know, some some nations or some uh, races being um, in some regards superior to others or some civilizations or some culture being superior uh, to others in some instances and in other instances being uh, inferior uh, because um, it, it it is very obvious and it is a question of common sense Let, let's look a little bit about it uh, let's leave the question of ethnicity uh, for the moment and um, Let's speak about individual life. By the way, I am speaking a little bit generally here because I don't want to give uh, the name of races and nationalities and so on because uh, we might get censored by the idiotic YouTube algorithms or something like this. But anyway, let's go to the individual life. Um, In everyday life, we um, freely recognize that, yes, some people are more intelligent than others, some people are better uh, artists than others, some people are better administrators, some are better merchants, businessmen, they make a lot of money, while others uh, squander everything and they cannot organize themselves, but have other advantages. So, yes, we we, we make these differences daily and... Uh, it is only natural to to recognize um, this stuff and it is only natural to consider them as being completely uh, legitimate such differences but at the same time does does this mean that just because um, some people um, are uh, less intelligent than others for example they should be exterminated or just or 
reduced to the status of slaves? Of course not. Yes, you perhaps you can find someone, you know, in your family, brothers, parents, I don't know, <clears throat> uncles, and so on, who I don't don't, don't have uh, much of a intellectual sophistication. They are simple people. Does this mean that they do not re uh, deserve equal dignity as human beings, or that uh, just because they do not correspond to some uh, intellectual standard that you have, uh, they should be? hanged and uh, or shot in the head, of course it would be an imbecility and monstrous to, to affirm such a thing. You can have very simple people who are uh, otherwise very good and very holy people also, and also very wise people, because wisdom is not, um, is not caused by intelligence necessarily. Wisdom is something which transcends purely human abilities, purely human faculties. Um, it is uh, it is something more than uh, more than uh, can be achieved purely through intelligence, and at the same time you can have of course people with uh, that can be characterized as highly intelligent, as with a very big IQ, for example. Although I don't think this is um, indicative of intelligence, but anyway, they have a big, a big IQ, and they are complete imbeciles. Yes, they, and I'm serious about this. They have no connection to reality. They have no connection to life, uh, to anything. Uh, they live in a bubble, so um, their uh, intelligence in this case is absolutely zero. But this is what have the, the same principle applies on larger scale groups on the communal level. Yes, regarding these uh, different um, nationalities, ethnicity, and races. Because um, some ideologies, yes, like in the 20th century appeared when uh, one race was uh, considered superior over the others, and um, um, this, um, this superiority gave the right uh, or gave uh, higher dignity on one particular uh, group over particular other groups and uh, gave the right to even to exterminate some inferior so-called groups. This is a question of idolatry, because um, what happens, and uh, this is um, this is how pride actually manifests. Instead of focusing on the divine image in man, one focuses on a particular aspect, on a on a particular accident. So, for example, some is enamored with his. Um, artistic talent, other is enamored with his um, intellectuality or something, other is enamored with his physical strength. So he illegitimately takes this good at, uh, this thing which he is good at, and makes it the center of existence, arbitrarily, because it is not the center. God is the center of existence, and the image of God, of God in man is the center of um, of uh, our existence as human beings, but one takes a particular accident or a particular trait and makes it into the center. Yes, so the fact that we are uh, part of the uh, this ethnic group is the center of existence and uh, tramples all other aspects. This, as you can see, is um, idolatry because it uh, takes something relative and uh, turns it into absolute. So it makes uh, the absolute. Uh, it it creates a false absolute, a false image of the absolute. 
and um, this is where <coughs> this error, this um, error of uh, a chauvinistic type of nationalism comes from, and this is why it is legitimate. On the other hand, uh, as we have today in this um, uh, modern-day globalism, which is a mental disease and a spiritual cancer, recognizing these differences and that there are differences and uh, regardless of what um, egalitarists say, their people cannot be uh, uniform, cannot be all equal in the sense that um, there are all differences between them cease. They recognize this fact, so what they try to do, they, they try to destroy these differences, to abolish them, to dissolve them into an amorphous mass of uh, meaningless existence, to erase whatever gives us purpose, whatever gives us meaning in our lives. Why? Because of the same error, because they do not recognize the image of God in man as the true place uh, where equality can be found and where unity can be found. And um, this, uh, this unity is transcendental. They, uh, they try <clears throat> through immanent means to create a false unity, uh, which is uh, an antichristic parody, a diabolical parody of the unity present within Christ. And um, it is not a unity, actually, what uh, this globalist tries to achieve. It is a uniformity. It is, like I said, um, an amorphous mass. They try to create an amorphous mass where there are no complementarities, no differences, no, nothing essential. They reduce everything to, to the lowermost um, manifestation. Yes, so a, a culture devoid of uh, anything else other than um, than uh, the passions, the the lower the lowest lowermost uh, parts of um, our uh, our being or characters. Uh, it is um, this uh, this uh, symbol is uh, well known in the <clears throat> in the scriptures in the book of Genesis, like um, the Tower of Babel. Uh, we can see this um, this attempt to force a unity from here below through uh, human means, through human faculties, through means only existing within this created realm, within this world, without any reference to the divine. So taking the earth and baking it into bricks. Yes, so taking matter, uh, trying through our own abilities to transform and inform matter, we try to force them into a unity, into this tower which is supposed to achieve uh, self-deification, yes, to reach, the uh, its peak was supposed to reach heaven, that is to, to achieve transcendence through immanent means, which is uh, the same impossibility as trying to grab yourself, uh, grab yourself by your hair and lift yourself off the ground. So it is impossible. We, we can see such examples um, because nothing is actually new under the sun. We can see um, in the last um, few years of Alexander the Great, yes, when especially he was um, beginning to lose his marbles, he tried to force this unity from here below by uh, organizing massive uh, amounts of intermarriage between his Greeks, uh, Greek and Macedonian soldiers and um, the Persians in order to, uh, to, to create this uh, mixture, to uh, erase the differences between the two and uh, create this uh, pseudo-unity. 
which of course it failed, like all um, all such attempts fail. Uh, it failed because right after his death, uh, all but one of his generals um, repudiated uh, their um, uh, Persian wives, so did his soldiers, so it did not work. Because unity can only be found at this transcendental level. And this transcendental level, this transcendental unity, cannot be reached through uh, individual willpower or through the willpower of a collective. It cannot be um, reached from here below. It can only be <clears throat> achieved through a divine action and through the cooperation of um, the human uh, person with um, the divine action. But this is... Um, this is the point of all this, outside of God, outside of Christ, outside of um, the Eucharist, this unity is impossible. And um, all attempts to to achieve it through, I don't know, so, some uh, human plan are doomed uh, to failure, as this globalism of today is doomed to failure. The only question is, of course, will its downfall, will its inevitable downfall, uh, its inevitable destruction um, drag uh, with it um, the whole of our civilization and us all in this um, in this uh, destruction, or um, <clears throat> will there be some other outcome in which we in which our uh, civilization uh, becomes detached from it and is able to save itself? But this is of course um, <clears throat> um, a different topic, and um, I am in no way inclined to speculate or to talk about this. I just wanted to talk about um, how um, how the questions of unity and multiplicity of ethnicity of gender and so on are um, to be truly and um, uh, correctly understood within the church and within uh, traditional Christianity within orthodoxy and uh, so on in the future perhaps um, I will um, uh, continue I will make a different podcast about um, about this, <clears throat> not necessarily about what I talked today, but uh, about but um, <clears throat> by this uh, political divide between left and right, what it means and um, where um, its origins can be found, because um, it is um, a very archetypal uh, thing. It is a symbolic thing, and um, uh, its origins should not be um, should not be considered to be the that um, um, historical event of the French Revolution with um, nobles uh, standing on the right and commoners on the left, it is it goes much deeper than that. And uh, for this, I will also try to employ uh, Plato's um, dialogue, which is uh, called the Political. It's one of the dialogues which uh, feature the stranger from Elia, Elia, who. Um, who talks about the the role of the king and um, his um, the necessity of him manifesting um, what I would call both the right hand and the left hand? So it is very symbolic, and perhaps one day we will uh, talk a little more about this. But um, for the time being, uh, this is it. It is a bit long, but I hope you enjoyed it, and um, I, I hope you gathered some use uh, from this. 
So um, until next time, I wish uh, everybody the best. Uh, this has been Mihai Magnescu. Goodbye.